Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Tuesday, January 10th, 2012, and our special guest today is Ian Jukes. Ian, welcome. Oh, I'm very special. <laughs> <laughs> you are special, and we appreciate your being here. The Future of Education is sponsored by my Web 2.0 Labs projects. Uh, these are a series of web 2.0 activities that are intended to help give voice to educators. It's also sponsored by Blackboard Collaborate. Thanks to Blackboard for the use of this room. Um, I'm also running for Blackboard a user community for those who use Blackboard Collaborate. It's new and it's at recollaborate.com. Feel free to join us there if you're a Collaborate user. Coming up, this is a really fun activity. Uh, we're sort of rebranding the activities at ISTE. Uh, calling them ISTE Unplugged. So this begins on Saturday with uh, what we previously called a DeBloggerCon. This will be the fifth year of that all-day unconference prior to ISTE. This year we're going to call that Social EdCon because it's really no longer about blogging. You can see uh, we've always had really, really fun crowds of people join us there. And so uh, hopefully you'll consider coming to that. It is free. It's Saturday before ISTE in San Diego. Sunday afternoon, we're going to be doing a virtual, not a virtual, we're going to be doing a global education summit, a three-hour actual physical meeting of those who participated in the global education conference. That's prior to the global poster sessions at ISTE. Then uh, from Monday through Wednesday is our uh, free uh, streaming. Where you can sign up to present assistance if you want to accept it. It's for the Salon de Refuse. And lots of other fun activities, including the Bloggers Cafe and the like. So go to ISTEUnplugged.com you're going to be attending this week. Um, this is our first announcement of a new program called Ed Incubator. This is a chance that we have at Classroom 2.0 to help out small startups or nonprofit groups who are interested in getting authentic audiences of educators to help them with their educational technology projects. And our first project is a PBS NewsHour. And we've just set up a group in Classroom 2.0, and they're looking for teachers to give them advice on some projects they're running. So look for more information on that. Do sign up at classroom20.com, and, uh, and look for the link at the top of the page, at Incubator, and for the PBS NewsHour link. Coming up this year in our worldwide and free virtual conferences, we're going to have a special fifth anniversary celebration for Classroom 2.0. Haven't fully figured out exactly what we're going to do, but it will be online and lots of fun. Uh, we've announced the Gaming and Education Virtual Conference on April 3rd, an Alternate Education Conference May 16th to 18th, Library 2.012. This will be the second year of that conference sponsored by San Jose State University, October 3rd through 5th, and then our flagship Global Education Conference, November 12th to 16th. Again, these are all free, virtual online, thousands of attendees. They're just a blast. Hope you'll join us for one. Coming up on the Future of Education, Thursday night, Mitch Perlstein talks about the family and education. Fascinating book on the fragmentation of the family and its effect on education. Sort of an elephant in the room discussion. Uh, Cheryl Nussbaum Beach on the Connected Educator, Henry Eyring on the Innovative University, Lee Crockett, uh, Ian's co author on Literacy is Not Enough, comes on the 24th, Cable Green on Open Policy, David Lurcher on Libraries. Uh, lots more fun. New on this list, David Warlock on March 22nd. Uh, Dick Gale from the California Teachers Association uh, talking about appreciative inquiry and positive deviance. It's really, really interesting topics. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, so lots of fun. Hope you'll join us for one. If you've missed any of our sessions, they're all recorded. 
Control Illuminate version in MP3 form, and they're available at futureofeducation.com. So this is where we give you a chance to let us know where you're participating from. Look to the left of the whiteboard. The second icon down is a star. You have to double click that, and you can click on the map. Now Ian's going to show us that he's actually in New Zealand, paying through the nose for internet. Oh, and then maybe that's his wife next to him. We'll have to find out a couple in Australia. Bill must be here because it looks like your our, our uh, Southeast Asia is filling up. Let us know in the chat where you're listening from. It's a lot of fun. Maybe the time and the temperature, especially if you're coming from somewhere unique. Yeah, that feedback, Angie, is um, Ian's mic. And, and I'll probably have him turn his mic off to let me know when he's done answering a question. That will go away. Not to worry, Ian. You're good. So I'm not seeing any notes in the chat of where people are from. Maybe I've missed it, or maybe you're being shy tonight. But oh, I haven't given you chat permissions. That would be why. Now you should be a little more capable of actually putting things in the chat. <laughs> That's known as a rookie error. Peggy, I'm surprised you didn't call me out on it. Oh, look, Dave Lurcher's on. Oh, lots of fun. There you go. Thanks, folks. Maybe you were being kind to me. Nobody nobody got mad at me. Croatia, how fun. 2 a.m. Carolina, thanks for joining us. Oh, chat is off. Somebody did put it on the map. Thank you for trying. <laughs> we could not tell you. I think you can send a note to the moderator. Mongolia, how fun. Well, wherever you're participating from, we're sure glad that you're joining us. And if you're listening to the recording, of course, we thank you for doing so. Ian, so you can turn your mic back on. So tell us where you are now and, and why. I'm going to switch uh, over to another microphone. Give me a USB microphone. Give me like 10 seconds, OK? You have as much time as you need. Yeah. 15 seconds. So Peggy, you weren't even able to send the okay. moderator note. Interesting. I apologize for that. Yeah, we can hear you. You're good. Yeah, we can hear you. You're good. Hold on one sec. I'm just swapping it over. Okay. All right, now. I think we need your wife to tell us the story of this picture. I think we need your wife to tell us the story of this picture. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, she's fortunate enough not to know me then. Now, how is that? Is that sounding yes. any better? Now you sound fine, and in yes. fact, it, okay, um, okay. there is a little bit of feedback because there's a little bit of a delay. There is a little bit of feedback because there's a little bit of a delay. In fact, there's actually more feedback now than there was before. In fact, there's actually more feedback now than there was before. Is your sound coming out of your speakers? Is your sound coming out of your speakers? Yeah, just a second. I'm trying to figure out why that is. I'm not there. So, so go, up to, go up okay. to tools. Okay, now there we go. Yeah, is that a little bit better. Talk oh, to me now. That's good. I'm not hearing myself back, so I think we're good. Are you? Yes. Talk to me now. Oh, you're not hearing me for some mm -hmm. reason. Um. Okay. Are you still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you still there now? Yes. That's weird. We can hear you, Ian. How about now? 
So can you hear me? I can hear you, and it's good. That's coming out the other side now. Oh, good. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Okay. 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 Is there no feedback now? No, I think we're good. We're like a bad commercial for okay. cellular service. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this, as you know from the little events before we set up here today, uh, that uh, everything was ready until about an hour ago, and then everything went, you know, south. So um, I think we're good to go now here. The micro. So fire away, Steve. Okay, so there's a slight lag, and I think it's because of uh, where you are. So tell us where you are and why. Uh, I am right now in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, uh, my wife Nikki and I have a place in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Nikki has a, a huge home down here in Auckland, New Zealand. So we tried to escape the winter weather by coming down because it's summer down here. Unfortunately, I arrived here on December 2nd, and it has rained every single day since December 2nd. It's warm, but uh, as I was telling you before the, the, uh, uh, this started, uh, most people in the world get a tan. I'm getting rust right now. It has the same effect, but it hasn't been a lot of fun. So I head back uh, up north uh, in about a week and a half, and I'm actually looking forward to it. That's so interesting. We've had weird weather this year all around. Hey, so, so I spent much of the day with you through your books, uh, reading a lot of the 21st Century Fluency series and uh, teaching the digital generation. And to say that you're prolific is probably an understatement. But who are you writing for? Who, 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 are, who are your core audiences? All right, that, that's a that's a really good question, and and uh, when you when you talk about spending the day with my books, uh, what you need to understand is that uh, I'm aiming at all audiences. Now I'm I'm speaking to educators, but I'm also speaking to administrators. I'm also speaking to legislators. I do a lot of work at the state level and the national level. Uh, I'm speaking to uh, people working at the university level. But um, I'm also, I've been really, really surprised that uh, we've had, particularly with uh, Living on the Future Edge, which was the first of the four books that we brought out about uh, two years ago, uh, is at parents. And so um, what I've tried to build um, over the course of the last, I, what, what, here, let me just explain what essentially I do. And that is, uh, for the course, over the course of the last 15 years, uh, I have been traveling around the world about 200 days a year, waxing effluent about this uh, incredible need for us to change and to step back and to rethink education. And so what I do are, uh, is a, a series of presentations, obviously modified to who the audience is. They go from what's called macro to micro. So the, the first book in the series is something called Living on the Future Edge. And Living on the Future Edge says, let's take a look at the changing world and let's try to understand what it really means. And so uh, talk about exponentialism, talk about uh, global trends, identify uh, several global trends, and for each one of them, um, try to explain what that means for us as individuals, as citizens, as parents, as community members, and what it means for education, and what it means to be educated in the light of the modern world. And, and that book then got uh, begat a second book, and that was a book called Understanding the Digital Generation. Uh, and Understanding the Digital Generation was based on the fact that uh, several years ago, I took my stepson to a 
Slayer concert. You want to know who Slayer is. Uh, but uh, as I sat and watched the transformation come over this reasonably ordinary kid, I realized that something was happening. And so I spent uh, two and a half years interviewing 2,500 kids between the ages of 5 and 25 about how they understand, how they view the world and how they interact with the world. And um, came up with um, what I consider to be the attributes of digital learners and how they're different than us and, and, the, and the, the things that uh, we can do to uh, leverage the, the, their differences to, to engage these kids. Um, and now, so, and that led to a, a number of presentations that I do on what's going, one called Teaching for Tomorrow. And, uh, and, but, but here's the thing. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm taking being so long-winded here, uh, but um, here's what happened. You know, I I wander around the planet and I speak at these conferences and speak for school districts and the like. And I say, and I and I give them the presentations, and people would come up to me afterwards and say, um, Yeah, yeah, the world's changed, and yes, we have to understand what those changes are and what they imply for what it means to be a citizen. Yes, as a result of the world changing, we know that we're dealing with a, uh, a, a, what's called a cultural brain, uh, a digital generation who sees the world differently than we do. The old term is beauty is in the eyes of the beer holder. Um, um, that requires us to teach differently. Uh, and, uh, and, and then there was a pause with just about everybody. And then they would say, but. I teach grade 9 math, or I teach senior science, or I teach grade 3, and unless you can tell me exactly what to do in my classroom, because I'm driven by no child left untested, no superintendent left standing, um, then, uh, then I just can't do this. And so that was uh, the basis of writing Literacy is Not Enough. And Literacy is Not Enough says, look, um, if we, right now we focus on literacy and we focus on 20th century literacy, but the, 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 the basis of literacy is not enough says that even if we educate our kids to be literate by the standards of the 20th century, which is absolutely the focus of education today, uh, they'll be literate by the standards of the 20th century. They're not going to be literate by the standards of the 21st century, and in fact, literacy is not enough. So what we need to do is we need to move beyond literacy to what's called fluency. And, and I'm going to shut up in a second here, Steve. I apologize for this. But the difference between literacy and fluency is that literacy is a conscious act. You have to think about it. You know, uh, um, you know now I do this, now I do that. Uh, fluency is an unconscious act. It's like riding a bicycle. You don't think about it. You know, you just get on the bicycle and you ride. Or when you're riding with a, with a pen, you're not thinking about the pen and you're not thinking about your elbow. You're directly engaged. And so... Um, because teachers were floundering, here we are 12 years into the 21st century, still struggling, uh, trying to define what 21st century learning is, uh, we uh, interviewed uh, about 2,000 people, uh, international, national, state, local level, and we said, what does it mean to be a 21st century learner? And based on the input that they gave us, uh, we created... Uh, what was called the 21st Century Fluency Project. And what we're doing right now is we have a team of 30 writers from uh, 11 countries around the world. And what they are doing is they are taking core content, so in, in a state that could be uh, state standards or that could be uh, the national standards, the, the core competencies. And what we're doing is we're creating a series 
of units that are project and process-based learning that embed what we call the 21st century fluencies into them. The 21st century fluencies are solution fluency, critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, information fluency, being able to look at information, whether it happens to be digital or non-digital, and being able to distinguish between good, bad, and ugly information. Um, uh, what we call creativity fluency, uh, uh, media fluency, not technology fluency, but media fluency, uh, collaboration fluency, and what it means to be a digital citizen. And so, uh, the, the living on the future, going back to your first question, living on the future edge was aimed at everybody. Uh, understanding the digital generation was primarily aimed at educators and parents. And I, I can't tell you how many parents have come up to me and said, oh my God, you, you just explained why my kid acts that way. That kid's not weird. He's, he's normal, well, semi-normal. Uh, literacy is not enough um, is aimed at um, educators and helping educators and administrators understand how they can teach the core competencies, but at the same time, they can teach the process skills that are absolutely essential because content comes and goes. Uh, the projects we're working on now, so we've got this team of writers working on a series of units that are going to be online and available and downloadable, etc. And now what we're doing is we're working on two books. Uh, the first book, and I do most of my writing collaboratively with other people who I run into and they're absolutely amazing. Uh, the first book is on 21st century assessment. So how do you uh, how do you go away from quantitative summative to qualitative formative assessment? How do you go from traditional numerical assessment to uh, group assessment, to peer assessment, to community assessment? And then the other book that I'm working on, again with two other amazing guys, is a book called Leadership. And that book is based on what does leadership for the 21st century, educational leadership for the 21st century look like? And, and, and how is it different from traditional leadership? And how can we become not just traditional leaders like the you know, buffalo leadership where you follow the lead buffalo over the cliff? And how can you move towards um, a, a, a community leadership where we all take responsibility? Anyways, I just talked nonstop for five minutes. I'll shut up now. So the whole idea is for you to talk, so please don't apologize for that. Um, I really appreciated the distinction between literacy and fluency, and I'm noticing in the chat that others did as well. So what I hear you saying is that you're helping to tell new narratives to the different audiences who are involved in education and trying to describe the changes that are taking place and, and the need for changes to um, teaching and learning and to, to education. So the question that, that sort of kept sticking with me today was, who really decides what school will be like? And if, if these technologies are disruptive, don't disruptions typically mean that the core doesn't adopt or adapt and that the, the changes come from the outside? Uh, you just asked a fantastic question because, um, um, what's his name, Christensen. Uh, wrote a book called um, uh, Disrupting Class. And uh, as part of Living on the Future Edge, we wrote uh, a section called Education of the Age of Disruptive Innovation. And I'll, I'll sort of disagree with you a little bit. I totally respect your opinion, even though you're completely wrong, uh, about how that change happens. And, and, and if we look at any innovation, whether we look at a technological innovation or whether we talk about a change in the way we think, what happens is that innovation typically happens on the periphery, like you say, 
But what happens is what we, we what happens is we get, end up getting a critical mass, and suddenly, boom, the world changes. We we look at the impact of computers and networks and cell phones and what they've done to just about every aspect of our lives. Now, um, I'm, you asked a multiple piece question there. So who am I aiming this at? Uh, I, I'm sorry if I sound a little rough here, but nothing short of retroactive birth control is going to address some of the issues we're talking about. And I, I've talked uh, to uh, state legislatures in, in many, many states in the U.S. and provinces here in Canada, and it is a tough sell. Um, the, the, the difficulty is, is that what we try to do is uh, you, you try to make massive changes in short periods of time, and invariably you fail. Tom Peters says you can't leap a canyon in two bounds. You know, you either leap it on the first bound or you're going down. But what, what's happening in education is we try to make massive changes in very short periods of time, and invariably we fail. And, and what happens is uh, teachers, educators in general, very quickly end up becoming extremely cynical about this, okay? So they see uh, No Child Left Untested as just being education du jour, and they duck down and they modify, and they know that they all last beyond the next initiative. We're starting to see this happening at the national level right now. Um, the, the, the point of advocacy of literacy is not enough is that we don't try to make massive changes in a short period of time. Uh, we use Tony Robbins' model, which is called CANI, Constant Never-Ending Improvement for Constant Never-Ending Incrementalism. And so what I'm advocating, and this is what the book Literacy is Not Enough and the resources we're creating about is, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, we're, we're going to continue to marinate our administrators and our politicians and our, and our community members and our parents about the fact that the, the, the general assumptions about education work great in the economy we used to have, but the economy is increasingly gone, and the skill set that is required today is a fundamentally different skill set than the skill set that was required 15 to 20 years ago. And what we advocate teachers do is they use canny, or, or if you remember the movie What About Bob, they take baby steps. And so what we are advocating for, for, for educators, the message we're giving to educators and the message we're giving to uh, administrators and leadership, leadership and all the rest of it is that what we want people to do is to change one activity in the lesson. We want to change one lesson in a unit, one unit in a term. We, we, because what happens is, is when you get kids uh, in the school system, by the time they have reached grade 6, grade 7, grade 8, they know how the game called school is played. And if you come along and you yank the rug out from underneath them and you fundamentally change everything overnight, they will absolutely fail. And so what we're trying to do is, it, it, uh, it's, it's the difference between me standing on the mountain and saying, come, come look at what I have to say, and me going for a, on a walk with you up a mountain. And as we sit down at the bottom, it appears there's only one pathway to the top, but as we start to walk up the mountain, we not only realize that there are more pathways to the top than one, but there's also different uh, ways, other areas you can go beyond the top of that mountain. And so, so again, the long answer to the short question is, who are we aiming this at? Well, we're aiming this at everyone, but what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to hold teachers' hands. We're trying to support them because they are really struggling, because they are held accountable to the standards. And what, we're, what we say you know, aggressively in Literacy is Not Enough is you can have it, you can have it all. We can continue to teach the content that absolutely needs to be assessed 
But at the same time, what we can do is we can embed, it's what's called Velcro learning, we can embed those 21st century skills, critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, information, fluency, creativity, etc., in there. And by teaching them both simultaneously, each of those areas complement one another. Okay, I'm going to take a breath again. So I'm really interested in this because we haven't had some people on the show who represent sort of a, a very disruptive model, like John Taylor Gatto, or um, right about un um, I'm trying to remember the name of the young man the unschooling piece for me, Dale P Dale Stevens, uh, and and we've got um, uh, unplugged mom coming on to talk about uh, homeschooling. Um, how do you respond to the thought that um, a lot of what the internet is doing is it's disrupting institutional models, and that the idea of the school system changing uh, is still not enough. That um, that the new models for education will be sort of so radically different from our conceptions of traditional schooling that that even if we're holding hands and helping teachers get to this place, that um, ultimately the, the institutional model of education will be just turned over. Well, again, great question. You're not just a pretty face, Steve. Uh, the um, the um, what, what see that that kind of a model. You know, I I I, I absolutely respect where these people are coming from. And uh, they're right even though they're completely wrong. And they're wrong even though they're completely right. And, 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 and I don't see uh, where education is going as being a matter of either or. I, I don't see it as being Gatto's model. Or I don't see it as being the KISS model. Or I don't see it as being the, um, oh god, uh, uh, the, the model out of um, my brain is gone dead or Rhode Island. Um, uh, but I, big picture I, I see it. Yeah, big, yeah, yeah. I see that there are uh, there are very complementary things that we can incorporate together. I wrote a book with uh, Ted McCain, who's a marvelous thinker and uh, an amazing architect from uh, Houston, uh, called Frank Kelly in 2009, called Teaching the Digital Generation. And what we did was uh, we started by analyzing the attributes of a traditional high school, and we identified. 25 elements of, um, of what the high school is, how teaching takes place, how learning takes place, how learning is assessed, how the day is broken down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what we did was we created a, a graphics equalizer model, uh, one being teacher-centered and five being student-centered. And we, uh, we, then we analyzed the traditional high schools, and of course we discovered that most of the stuff was teacher-centered. And then what we did was we walked through 10 existing models in Canada and the United States that progressively gravitate from that model. And, and the beauty of big picture schools, and the great, there's a really interesting school in Wyoming, and there's a, another really interesting school in Houston, and, and you, you know, you, you're, you're one of the people who advocates these things, is that there, there are really interesting models that are taking place out there, but it's, it's different strokes for different folks. And so what I want is, um, you know, my, my, my belief is, is that it's not a matter of either or the way some people advocate it, but what we need to do is be able to create modular schools. We need, and I, I mean, and uh, Bill Spady, who was uh, the, the, the developer of outcomes-based education in the 80s and 90s, 
So we've got to be really careful when we use a term like school or classroom or whatever because there is a value, an unconscious value attached to it that's based on our experiences growing up. So when I think of a classroom, you know, because of my growing up, I see a teacher at the front of the room and I see desks and things like that. And that, and that what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to take the best of everything and that may be face-to-face, -face, that may be virtual, that may be uh, digitally driven, uh, it, 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 but it doesn't have to be either or because we're, we're, put, in, we're put in a position right now where uh, when we do that, we're still not going to be able to address the needs of all students. Now, I don't know if I answered your question there because you know, I'm just ranting as I normally do, but um, I, I, it goes back to the story I told you um, uh, before we went on today about the uh, the pizza ad uh, uh, with Deion Sanders and Jerry Jones. Deion Sanders being a, um, a pro professional baseball player and a professional football player and an elite player, and Jerry Jones being the the, um, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And they're negotiating a new contract. And Jerry Jones says to Deion Sanders, Deion, do you want $8 million or do you want $10 million? And Deion Sanders' answer is, I want both. What I want is I want to model, create a school system that meets the needs of every single kid, and instead of trying to fit the kid into the school, and I'm using that term school very, very loosely, I want to be able to fit the school into the kid. And, and you know, my concern right now is that we're, we're increasingly focusing on standardized tests for what I see as being increasingly non-standardized brains and trying to fit square peg students into round hole schools and round peg students into square peg schools. And so, so what I want to do is I want to, to every single one of those people that you mentioned and, and, and hundreds and hundreds more, I want to applaud and say, yes, but let's take the best of what you've got and let's see if we can incorporate that into something that is based on the assumption that the student is the client and that what we will do is we will shape the school around the kid, shape the learning that that kid has based on their, if you believe in them, learning styles, based on their particular circumstances, their background, and so on. Okay, I'll shut up again. This is terrific. So um, I do a podcast. With Am I making any sense? Absolutely. I do a podcast with uh, Audrey Waters, and we look at uh, sort of the increased activity in uh, venture capital and financing of educational technology companies. And Audrey made a cute little extra video recently where the character says, I have an app that will fix education. It is disruptive. It will change education. And, and it's, a, it's a very clever video. We've had computers for a long time, but you clearly feel like something is happening really significantly now with technology that's driving these changes. Do you want to describe that? Okay, and, and, and you, you, again, you ask a really interesting question. Um, but the, 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 the concern I have, I, I over the course of the last uh, 20 years have spent $160 million of other people's money, about 40,000 computer systems. I've physically been involved in the building of 300 schools and so on. And my concern is right now is that technology is driving learning rather than learning driving technology. And the old line is if technology is the answer, I'm not sure what the question is. And 
So one of the one of the things I, I wrote another book that I didn't mention called um, Getting It Right, which was based on my experiences and and uh, all the mistakes I made, and being thankful that there's a statute of limitations on stupidity because I've made every stupid mistake you can possibly make. Um, and and one of the things that I talk about is the principle of alignment. Uh, I was in Singapore uh, about two years ago, and I did what's called the mass teacher lecture in front of I don't know thousands and thousands of people, and I did a little activity in which I got everybody to stand up uh, in the in the uh, expo and uh, and close their eyes and start turning slowly clockwise on the spot, and um, and then I asked them to stop, keep their eyes closed, and point north, and of course everybody in the room pointed in a different direction. And I said, there's a great metaphor for where we are in education right now, because we all have the best of intentions to do what's right for kids, but we all are pointing in a different direction. And then I pulled out a compass, and I showed them where north was. I pointed north. I asked them to point north. I asked them to close their eyes and point north. I then asked them to turn counterclockwise on the spot and point north. And when they opened their eyes, about 85% of the people were, were, were pointing in the right direction. And I said, so what's the difference between the first time and the second time? And the answer is, because the second time they were aligned. They were aligned to my voice. They were aligned by my compass. They were aligned by their relative position to the furniture and so on. And, and so to me, the issue is not technology. The issue is learning. And, and, and the purpose of the technology is for the technology to be embedded into the learning so that the, 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 techn the learning drives the technology, not the, learning drive, the technology driving the learning. And, and, and I happen to believe that the, the, the role of technology, I mean, technology is becoming utterly transparent. You don't think about it except when it doesn't work properly. That, that, that learning about technology is nothing but an incidental but essential byproduct because what we are focusing here on is critical thinking, problem solving, decision making. That's the basis of the fluencies. And that's why, for example, we don't have technological fluency there. We focus on media fluency, but which is not the, the, the technology, but how you use the technology to communicate, to discover, to, to challenge, and so on. So um, I get real uncomfortable. I, and, and I've had, uh, I had an experience last summer where on August the 15th, I had a, a phone call from a superintendent in New Jersey who said to me, I'm not kidding, quote unquote, we just bought a laptop for every one of our 1,200 teachers in the school district. What I would like you to do is I'd like you to come in here on, on uh, August the 31st and tell them how to use it. And I said, no. And I said, because you've got it completely backwards. Because what you have to be able to do, when I'm, when I'm, um, uh, when I'm thinking about uh, how I'm going to transform education, I use a metaphor called living life like a quarterback which says when the quarterback takes the ball, snap, takes a snap, and drops back to pass and throws the ball downfield to the receiver, if the receiver is not serving three to five for something, the quarterback does not throw the ball to where the receiver is. The quarterback throws the ball to where the receiver is going to be. And what they do in their mind is they work their way back from the future to the present to figure out what it is they need to do now in order to be able to get there. So if, if, I, was, if I was king for a day, uh, and we were talking about it, I would say, first of all, we're not building a technology plan. What we're building is a learning plan. And what I would say is, before we even talk about whether we're going to have tablets or whether we're going to have laptops or you know whatever it is, we, let's start with the end in mind. This is Wiggins and McTie, Understanding by Design. Let's start with the end in mind and let's identify 
the skills and knowledge and habits of mind above and beyond being able to do on a bubble test that we need every single student to leave our schools with be able to identify what they are, to identify how we're going to measure them, not just, again, quantitatively, but qualitatively, performance-based, and then to build backwards from the future to the present to figure out what it is we need to do now in order to be able to get there, and only then start to align our tools, whether they happen to be high-tech tools or low-tech tools or no-tech tools, that are going to allow us to get from where we are to where we need to be. Now, that, that's sort of a short, uh, and uh, uh, people are going to go up to the website and be able to download lots of handouts that will explain this kind of stuff. But that would be my long answer to the short question about the role of technology in learning. So I'm interested because I read a more nuanced version today in your work. And I think part of that nuance for me was the technology is sort of dramatically changing what's taking place in our lives outside of school that we need to be thinking about that when we think about learning. I think you're still saying that, but I also really appreciate the idea that the, the learning needs to drive the decision making. But in a world that would... Okay. Go ahead. No, go, please go ahead. I, I've got a, a point I want to make about that, though. Um, please finish. My, I'm sorry. My question was going to be, we have very different visions of education. Um, there's... I don't feel like there is a consensus view on uh, learning. And so in a world in which you don't have consensus views on learning, how do you get to a, a collective vision that allows you to accomplish, say, what Finland did? Well, I, 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 I've always believed, uh, you know, I work with uh, school districts as large as LA Unified, which is almost a million kids, and I, I work go school districts as small as Oaksdale in Washington, which is 150 kids. And, 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 and what I, I realize here is that, that it's different strokes for different folks. And that, again, the, 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 the real issues of trying to bring consensus are that we have to take baby steps and we have to marinate. One of the things you do, you know, when, when you did your commercials, operators are standing by, here's what we're going to be working on, here are the things that we're, or projects we're going to be working on next to the wall. What I saw was an incredible diversity of stuff, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to hang up on you, and I immediately wanted to go out to the site and start looking at all this stuff. Now, I'm, I'm blessed because I get to hang out with Will Richardson and, and David Warlick, and, you know, and I'm not name-dropping here, but I mean, you know, I get the chance to look at this stuff. But one of the difficulties we have right now is, uh, and it goes back to your question about how you, how you, how you, how you get the consensus is, I don't think there's anywhere near enough communication going on in helping people understand that there are other pathways. And, and uh, I, I did a lot of work with uh, the George Lucas Educational Foundation uh, in, on a project called Edutopia in the early part of the 21st century. And, and one of the things that we talked about, at length, we had this amazing meeting where we had all these people, I mean, just a hugely diverse group of people. And... And we were trying to talk about how we were going to bring about transformation in education. And, and, I, and I said, one of the things we need to do is, first of all, we need to be able to create some kind of a clearinghouse. Because people are constantly out there trying, trying to reinvent the wheel. And, and one of the, like, for example, in the, in the, the Fluency 21 project that I'm working on, Literacy is Not Enough project, 
uh, one of the things that we want to do, yes, we're going to create some materials that are going to be commercial, and that's because, you know, I spent about $350,000 of my own money, and I'd like to get some of it back, and my wife would too. But what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to create uh, an educational commons. And what we want to be able to do is show people how they can both focus on uh, core content and at the same time they can focus on those what we call 21st century fluencies or the, or the process skills. And, and our goal is that within three years we want to be able to have 20,000 units online. You were, we were talking before the, the presentation today about crowdsourcing, okay, and the whole idea of the incredible power of a group of people when they're energized. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, 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 and if you can create those kinds of materials and you can expose people to those kinds of materials and you can support them, and if we can use uh, you know, the, the flip classroom model for staff development, there, there, there's a whole series. But what we have to do is we, we just have to get it out there. Because I go, when I go to you know, the southern part of the United States or you know, I was joking and saying you know, uh, dry heat Alberta or you know, upchuck Manitoba or wherever it is, one of the problems is, is that people don't know about these resources, and so they snap back to the tradi traditional. Now, one more comment, and, that, and that's about the technology piece. Here's one of the issues about technology and disruptive innovation. Uh, in um, um, the book called Getting It Right, which is about planning, successful planning, uh, we talk about uh, the different uh, uses of technology, and we talk about three uses of technology. The first one is literacy-based uses of technology, which is uh, basically driver's education, where you teach people about the boxes and teach people about the software, and you teach people word processing or how to use a spreadsheet or a database or whatever. Okay? And it's, it's absolutely essential. You, you, you wouldn't give the keys to a car to a kid uh, without, first of all, teaching them how to drive the car. So literacy is real important. Uh, the, the second level of usage is what I like to call, and Bernard Jean Porter calls it the same thing, integrated augmented transformative uses of technology, which is uh, you identify a particular piece of hardware, a particular piece of software, and you integrate it into the teaching. Uh, but what you do is you maintain uh, the traditional assumptions and the traditional relationships you have between the teacher and the student and the content and the assessment model. In other words, what we do is we use new technology and we shape the technology to reinforce old mindsets and assumptions about learning. And, and, and there's a place for that. Uh, although you know, far too much of what happens in, in education today is at the integrated augmentative level. Uh, and if I'm walking into a, a classroom or a school or a district and I, and I want to determine whether things are happening at the integrated augmentative adaptive level, I just ask a simple question to teachers. I, I go up to the teacher and I say, okay, you and your, your kids have been using the technology for extended periods of time. Now, if I take the technology away, will you, the teacher, be able to teach? Will the learners be able to learn? Will the learning be able to be assessed in essentially the same way as it was when you had the technology was there? And the answer at the integrated augmentative level is, yeah, yeah, I can do this without the technology. Which, which, which begs a fundamental question. You know, why are we using, why are we using the technology? Well, oftentimes we're using the technology because we want to look progressive, but all we're doing is using new technology to reinforce old assumptions about teaching, learning, and assessment. Uh, what we're, we're focusing on, on uh, in literacy is not enough, and what we're focusing on the fluency project 
um, is that yes, there's a place for, for literacy. Yes, there's a place for integrated augmentative. But the, the, a third of what we do, one third of what we do has to be based on transformative uses of technology. And, and transformative uses of technology are using the technology in a way that allows the student, the teacher, to do things that quite simply they cannot do by any other means in the use of technology. So we're, we're giving kids control of a nuclear power plant, or we're putting, mixing really dangerous chemicals together, or we're, we're dissecting an animal without having to kill the animal, or we're, we're talking to people in the sky lab and things like that. But the interesting thing there is learning about the technology is the byproduct. It's, it's incidental. It, it's, it's, it's learned, but it's learned because the real focus is on critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, again, what we call the 21st century fluencies. And learning about the technology is just a byproduct of that. And if I, if I want to determine whether things are happening at the fluency level, or sorry, the transformative level, then I just ask the same question I asked before. Okay, you, your students have been using the technology in the classroom for an extended period of time. Now, if I take the technology away, Will you, the teacher, be able to teach? Will the learners be able to learn? Will the learning be able to be assessed in the same way as it was when the technology was there? And the answer here is no, because the technology has transformed the learning experience. But the primary focus is not the technology. It's on what we call those 21st century, those, those 21st century skills that every single kid needs to have. Anyways, again, I've gone off ta on a tangent again. I will shut up. Now, the whole goal is to let you go off on tangents. So the... Uh, you, well, you, can, you can hear I don't hold strong opinions. No, I'm glad you do. I, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, you interviewed these students, and you got a lot of feedback on their own learning experiences. Um, I know that for myself personally, the technologies have pretty significantly shifted my own learning. You talk about learning being nonlinear, and this is huge for me. Uh, the ability to find things that make connections sort of when I want to, um, and, and very customized learning for myself. Have you found some uh, places or institutions where you feel like there have been really good parallel structures for student and teacher and administrator learning? that pervade the whole organization? Absolutely. And again, that's what uh, that all started with um, uh, the book Teaching the Digital Generation. And what I've done, and, and I'm going to give people an email address at the end, is I've accumulated a list of uh, 25 schools that I believe are not just talking it. A school, in, in, most, in most of the cases, I, I have to admit, it's a school or an institution. It's not a district that does it. Okay, uh, but I've put a list together of about 25 places uh, that are absolutely doing this, and these these go from very, very, very small schools in places like Wyoming uh, and Washington State to very, very large school districts or schools in places like Texas. And I'm more than happy to share. And and every every one of those. Um, schools takes a different approach. Now, you need to understand, uh, Steve, that I'm a very cynical guy. And I, um, uh, you know, I read about these places, and what I make sure is, if I'm traveling in the area, and I travel a lot, um, um, uh, that I, if I get a chance, I go and I visit these places. And I will tell you that more times than not, as Shakespeare would say, uh, the schools are full of sound and fury signifying nothing. 
that they they talk it, but they're not walking it. That what they do is, they're you know they're a high tech high where there's a focus on technology, but the teacher is still standing at the front doing full frontal lectures and things like that. But there are uh, throughout the United States, throughout in Canada, a uh, couple of places in Thailand that I've just been recently, a uh, couple of places in Australia, a couple of places in New Zealand. There are absolutely institutions that are doing this. Uh, they're, they're absolutely not carbon copies of one another, uh, but I'm more than happy to share. Also, uh, th this is uh, one of the, the, um, the goals of George Lucas and uh, the George Lucas Educational Foundation. Uh, there are a number of really valuable resources uh, that go into detail of not just uh, you know how it's structured, but pedagogically how things happen. Uh, how learning takes place, how uh, um, uh, assessment of learning is differentiated. Now, again, the, the, you know, I've been described as a person who never be lonely, would still have someone to talk to, even if I was completely by myself. Okay, and I can go on talking about this stuff forever and ever and ever. One of the things you need to understand, the people that are actually, unfortunately, still listening to me, uh, is I'm very approachable, and I'll give you an email address. And if you email me, my blood oath is I will get back to you within three days. Usually it's one day. Very fun. Okay, so we're going to move to Q&A now. If you have a question for Ian, you can either ask it in the chat or you can raise your hand, your virtual hand, which is the third icon over in the participant window. It's a raise hand. You'll see a little hand there. And we can give you the microphone. It helps if you've tested your microphone by going up to Tools Audio and running the Audio Setup Wizard. But we're also willing to let you do that if you can't hear it when you're on to someone else. Um, so while we're waiting for some questions, um, have you found any behaviors that you feel are vital to the building of these educational cultures? Um, is it uh, certain ways of communicating, or uh, are there human behaviors that you find really exist at the core of these organizations that do a good job? Uh, you, you, again, uh, you ask amazing questions. I'm, I'm really impressed. Um, uh, I, think, I think in um, interviewing uh, teachers and kids for understanding the digital generation, I think the single most important thing is respect. Uh, more than anything else. And what I mean by that is this. We have, we have every right to expect our kids to respect our culture. We have every right to expect kids to respect our world, our history, because that, that's how you or to our curriculum for that matter, because that's how you transmit culture from one generation. That's how you transmit democracy from one generation to the generation. So we have every right to expect kids to respect that world. But in the very same way that we expect kids to respect us and, and our world, kids have every right to expect that we will take the time to respect and try to understand their world. Okay. Uh, just because we were here first doesn't mean that we can ignore that world, and we and we absolutely ignore that world at our peril. And I'm I'm an historian by training, initial training, and and I and I will tell you that every generation since the time of Socrates and Plato, including our parents, has looked at the next generation, including us, and said, "What the hell's wrong with those kids? So society's going to hell in a handbasket. There, there's nothing wrong with these kids. They're just." Different. They're neurologically different. They have a they have a cultural brain that is different than our brain, and and unless we bring to the classroom that respect, 
it's just not going to work. And I will tell you this, that one of the, the eye-popping things that kids told me is that when they come into a classroom for the first time and they're exposed to a teacher for the very first time, what the teacher doesn't understand is they're on the clock and they have 15 minutes or less to demonstrate to the kids categorically that number one, they respect those kids, and number two, that they understand, or at least they're trying to understand their world. And, and if the teacher can demonstrate that respect and that attempt at understanding, then the kids belong to them. But they, the kids also tell me that if the teacher demonstrates a lack of respect or a lack of attempt to understand, they lose those kids, and those kids won't just sit there passively. They will actually consci consciously support. So, so I'm going to go back again and say it comes back to Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That is what it means to me. So that, that would be my, my answer. And I may, that may not be the answer you were looking for, but, but, but I think we, we, whether it's politicians or whether it's teachers or whether it's parents, uh, one of the very best things that I ever did in my life, and this happened, you know, this dates me many years ago, is I sat down with my kids and got my ass kicked playing video games. And I went to a Slayer concert with my stepson. And, and, I, and I spent the time uh, exploring the websites he was at. And when I did that, because I was demonstrating respect, he opened them to me in ways that were unbelievable, changed our relationship forever. That was exactly the answer I was hoping for, although I, uh, that may be too strong a word. I was very eager to hear what you might say. And uh, I actually interviewed my daughter and a friend of hers last night at length to ask them about their best experiences as learners. And they're 13 years old, so they're highly critical. And I think they said something very similar. Uh, they said, you know what a teacher actually authentically cares about you. The, mm -hmm. the authentic word is mine. But they said, they, you know when a teacher cares about you, and that's when I care about what I'm learning. Um, okay, so if you have a question for Ian, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, and if you've put one in the chat and I've missed it, I, I hope that you'll put it in again. You can also I think they're all asleep. <laughs> you can raise your virtual hand. No, they're not asleep because I know they, there were a number of them actively engaged in a dialogue about how you expand the chat window, which cracked me up. Uh, Ian's Twitter name, Ian, you can go ahead and type that in if you would. Um, and then if you want to put any contact information in there, you can. Okay, so, so there's Twitter. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you um, um, uh, my Skype. So people oh, can record sure to me put on it in Skype. the general room and not in the, you put it in the actual chat to me. It's hard to tell. Oh, but click back oh I see. I got it right here. Okay. So, so Twitter is iJukes. And uh, um, uh, uh, Skype is iJukes and it's Vancouver. And I'm going to put an email address down here too. And email is, um, I have to remember it now, Ian uh, at fluency21.com. Here we go, fluency21.com. I hope that's right. No, I spelled it wrong. Hold on here. And I'm going to give you a website to go to too. But remember again, I'm absolutely approachable, okay? Um, okay, and so, and the web is uh, uh, fluency twenty one. 21.com, okay? And there's a series of resources out there, and if you don't find what you're looking for, then uh, talk to me or my attorneys. 
Okay, so we have a question from, I can't remember who it was from, but uh, I think it was Angie. What are the qualities to teach our new leaders in education? Okay, can you say that question again? I sort of faded away for a second. That's okay. What are the qualities to teach our new leaders in education? Uh, well, uh, it, it all depends on your um, uh, your definition of leadership. Now, um, uh, as a as a classroom teacher and a principal and a district administrator, uh, and this this was happening in the '80s and early '90s. Um, I was in a school district where we had absolutely amazing leaders, but they were traditional leaders, and they basically said, "This is where we're going," and people went charging this way. And it's what we call in the trade buffalo leadership. And so the, uh, the, uh, the educators would follow the buffalo when the buffalo went north or went south, and they even followed the buffalo when they went over a cliff. Um, the, the new model is not buffalo leadership, it's goose leadership. And if you ever watch a flock of geese when they're flying, there's no one leader, but what happens is, is there there's one leader at the front, excuse the expression, breaking wind, and uh, all of the other geese are in a V behind them. But what happens is, when a goose gets tired, or a goose gets injured, or, or you know, whatever, then what happens is, someone else takes on the leadership role. So, so I don't see there being such a thing as a leader. Uh, what I think is, is that you have to have someone who cultivates a, 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 a culture of leadership. Uh, and that, that, that means that leadership can take place, whether it happens to be the school administrator, or whether it happens to be the classroom teacher, or, or, or so on. And I had another insight that I was going to throw in there, and I think it's just gone. Um, but, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I, well, I know what it was. And, um, I explained to you uh, um, before this all happened, Steve, about how I got into this business and how I, how I you know, I was, I was um, I, somebody took me under their wing uh, so a real high-profile speaker at the time took me under their wing and gave me incredible opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I, I met the President of the United States. I, I you know, spent time working with George Lucas and so on. Uh, and and what, what I've done is I've paid that forward. I've tried to, the people that write with me are people that are really, really capable, and I've given them the opportunity. And in the very same way, the whole culture of leadership says it's not about me, it's about we. And I know that's just a, you know, a passe phrase. But the whole idea of leadership today has to be that you have to help people reveal to themselves their own abilities, as David Pomper did to me back in the 80s and, and gave me the opportunities that I have today. So that, that's what I believe is the essence of leadership today. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I hear you saying you the same, I think I hear you saying that it's that same respect. It's not just the respect that takes place with the teacher and the student and the student and the teacher, but it's also the respect that colleagues have for each other, creating a learning culture. Let, let me answer it this way. Um, I'm on a, a what we classically call a rubber chicken circuit, because we travel and we speak at lunch times, and they always see this rubber chicken before. Now, if you look at the spectrum of speakers that are out there today, uh, there are some speakers who I believe, and I told them to their face, that they talk down to their audience. Uh, and and there, are, there are people that come in, and they do their speech, and they're gone. And there's never any chance for interaction. I, I believe it's, I, 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 you know, there may be times when people may see that in me. I, I do 
everything I possibly can, and I and I and I counsel the people that work with me to do the same thing. That they they have to be approachable, and they have to talk to that person, whether that person is a, a is a janitor or a or a classroom teacher or an administrator, politician. That we we have to speak to them not from a point of arrogance or, or superiority. That we absolutely have to see them as equals, and so like. Uh, when 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 people ask me questions, uh, there's some people that will be as the questions are being asked, they're already figuring out what their answer is. One of the things I forced myself to do is to sit and listen to the entire question before I uh, give my response, because what I need to do is I need to give them the same respect that I expect them to give me. Okay, so, no, I think we're good. In fact, that's sort of the perfect ending. Uh, out of respect to our guests, we always finish on time. And so uh, we are now at the top of the hour. And um, Ian, what time is it there in New Zealand? Uh, it's 3 p.m. Happy New Year. Uh, um, it's, <laughs> Happy New Year. Kind of hard when you're working with the East Coast, uh, uh, which is uh, six hours difference from me. Uh, but uh, this is great. Uh, you know, listen. Let me let me just say this. Um, uh, I think you do amazing things, and I'm looking at this list, and uh, I, I'm impressed. And I, you know, uh, I, as I said, I've looked at the list and I say, well, I want to be here for every one of these things. Uh, I, I, it's a real honor to be asked to come and you know rant at you a little while, and, and I hope I get the opportunity again. Uh, you're, you're a gentleman, and you're a class act. And the support you gave me beforehand as I was panicking trying to, to get my stupid Mac to work with the system uh, was really appreciated. And uh, you're doing a great job. Just keep up, the, keep up the good work. Those are thoughtful comments. And I will tell you, I really enjoyed spending the whole day with you, although only an hour of it actually uh, in conversation, but the rest in reading your books. A delightful day for me. Thanks, everybody, for coming. I'm using the clapping icon, which is a little hard to find these days. Hover over the smiley face and then look for the applause, and that's clapping. And um, as Ian said, you are welcome to reach out to him. And if so if you asked a question and didn't get answered, we apologize, but feel free to, to um, reach out directly. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, this Thursday, Mitch Perlstein on The Family. Uh, next Tuesday, Sean Osbon Beach on her new book, The Connected Educator, and then Henry Iron on the Innovative University. Lots of fun, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks again. That was terrific. May the first be with you. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> okay. Have a great day. Thank your wife for being patient with us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll take a couple of minutes to let you uh, finish your chat and sign off, and then we do have to have you leave the room for the recording process. Take care. <laughs>